0: Welcome to Discipleship Under the Crown Season 2. And if there's anything that we've learned in the last while, it's that we are not in control. And we thought we had this COVID thing beat. We were gearing up for relaunch. Many of us did relaunch our youth ministries in one form or another. And then Victoria started to change and community spread started to happen there and in New South Wales. And we realized that COVID is not going away anytime soon. And so we're asking the question, how do we keep prioritizing discipleship in the uncertainty of a pandemic that's not going to be subject to us? And at the same time, recognize that though we can't control all of this, God is still sovereign. And so we want to focus this season on resilient discipleship, resilient ministries, resilient leaders, and importantly, resilient faith in young people. And so we're asking the question, how do you do discipleship in the uncertainty of a pandemic and how do you do discipleship in the certainty of god's sovereignty how do you do discipleship under the crown well today we've got bishop gary Koo joining us thanks so much for joining us gary lovely to be here it's wonderful now um up until last year gary you were the senior minister of st paul's carlingford uh, and you've just become the Bishop of uh, the Western Region. W- when was that that you started? Started Feb 1. And so what, where, a month or a month and a half before lockdown, you were in your new role? That's right. What was, what was that like? It was a bit unusual, you know, like any new role, you're trying to find
1: your way, get to know the names of the people in the office, start to get your heads around head around what the job involves and then Everything changed.
0: <laughs> um, now, so you you started last year uh, last year in, into the new role of bishop of the Western Region. Yep. For uh, any of our listeners that uh, aren't Anglican, many many are, but there's some that are you know um, far flung or in different denominations. Just tell us what does a bishop do?
1: All right. I mean, my my job is basically broken into two parts. Uh, one, I'm an assistant bishop, so my role is to assist the Archbishop in what he does to uh, lead our churches. And that involves various things like giving him advice, telling him what's going on in the West, sitting on a few boards, things like that. Uh, The other half of the job then is actually to strengthen the hand of our churches in the West, which stretch from Lidcombe to Lithgow, there's 58 parishes, to strengthen their hand to assist uh, these churches in doing their mission, uh, however that might might be. That includes um, Encouraging the senior ministers, working with uh, people to find new ministers uh, where there's vacancies, and just providing encouragement, advice, and teaching occasionally too when I can.
0: So you uh, you started that job six weeks before COVID hit. So you're very, very experienced in that role. Absolutely. Was it, is it the same in COVID? Is it different in COVID? How's that change? What does a bishop do in COVID?
1: Well because of my background. So before I was in ministry, I was actually trained as a medical doctor. When COVID hit, I was asked to chair the COVID task force. And uh, in a way, uh, what COVID has done is actually, interesting enough, given me given people a reason to talk to their bishop. Uh, and uh, so it, it's, I guess I've been able to talk to lots and lots of people who I might not have normally talked to and um, talk to them in a, in a way which is Supportive and encouraging, and helpful. So, in a way, as I've reflected on this myself, um, rather than being kind of like in a leader overseeing people, I've been a bit like what some people might term an exec pastor. Mm. I've been in a supportive role, uh, uh, helping uh, people on the ground, and and I think rightly so because the people on the ground have had to do so much to adapt to this new season, and if I can take some of that burden off them by understanding the, the legal requirements and trying to interpret that for our own uh, parishes and our own ministries, then why not?
0: 100%. Uh, well, it, it feels like we've kind of entered a new season with COVID. And uh, there was a point in the last few months where we'd kind of come out of shutdown. Things were feeling slightly more normal. We were feeling pretty good about ourselves as Australians. You know, we'd, we'd won, we'd beaten the virus kind of thing. And uh, towards the end of last term, our churches and our youth ministries and and other ministries started meeting back face-to-face, and it felt like we'd kind of run the race. But then I think we all got hit with a bit of a reality check. Um, As things in Victoria started to change, various restrictions uh, were reintroduced. We realised it wasn't as clear a path out of COVID as perhaps we thought and we we're going to reflect a little bit on the last five or six months um, today as we talk and as well as look forward from here to how to keep discipleship front and center in youth ministry that is what we're doing in discipleship under the crown how do we keep discipleship front and center in youth ministry and particularly in in this this season where uh, things are changing there's fluctuations it's going to go up and down but before we dive into that stuff i'd love to just hear what has the last five or six months been like for you personally?
1: It might sound strange to start with this, but I've actually been very thankful. Uh, I mean, COVID is terrible and I'll speak more on about, about that in a moment. But I've been very thankful um, that we live in Australia. I've got relatives in the United States who I speak to reg- regularly. It's very different what they're experiencing over there to what we're experiencing here. I'm very thankful for the relative wealth uh, he's given us. Uh, many of us live very comfortably in isolation. Uh, thankful for a government that really is doing its best to serve the population. We might not agree with everything that uh, that they've come up with, but uh, having spoken to quite a few people uh, in government, they're really doing their best uh, to serve. So uh, had I spend more time with my family and and uh, we, get on, we get on pretty well. So that's been good too. So very thankful. And I guess uh, it was a bit heart-wrenching uh, leaving parish life to become a bishop. Um, it, it sounds um, like you're moving up the ladder to become a bishop, but uh, I think most of us set out in ministry not to become a, well, no one sets out in ministry to become a bishop. We all wanna be pastors and uh, disciples. Um, and I think it was particularly hard for my wife as we made the move from parish because she felt we hadn't quite finished what we were set, set out to do but uh, in, in this season uh, a person with my background and skills uh, it does feel like God uh, knew what he was doing um, so and that I think that's uh, eased our hearts over the, the, the move that we've made
0: and what was that decision like to, to leave parish and to take up this position as, as bishop? To my shame,
1: um, uh, as it led up to Synod last year in October, and I knew there was a vacancy, I've never really been engaged deeply with the mechanics of <laughs> the governance of the Sydney Anglican Church, and I was joking to a friend of mine and saying, look, I'll, I'd hate that job. Even if they offered to me, I think it would say, no, that's crazy. Who'd want to do something like that? And then they offered it to you. Then I offered it to me and I just no, desperately had to ring my friend to, to repent. Um, it was hard. I mean, no, again, no one thinks about it. Um, well, no one should really because what we want to be doing is discipling people. Now, uh, in my role, my role is to facilitate discipleship and make sure that people are discipling. So uh, it's not that I'm but you know, we all want to be at the coalface, don't we? So I actually still co-lead a growth group uh, because I just want to make sure I still get my hands dirty. Mm. Uh, but in COVID, it's a little bit different. So yeah, it was very hard. It's, it was very hard, but uh, again, thankful that... I was most concerned for my children, but they they thought the whole thing was kind of funny. Mm. And my daughter asked me if I have to wear a pointy hat. Mm. So. Uh, i think god's been very kind
0: so you you're thankful um initially thankful in um as COVID kind of hit uh, what else has it been like
1: well there's been some really uh big ups and downs uh, my heart does go out to the guys in the ground I, i'm i was so i think proud is the wrong word but i'm, I'm so I've been almost astonished, so encouraged by just all the hard work people put in because when it first hit, many of us were thinking how a church is going to cope, how are they going to adapt? And people did brilliantly, learning new skills, engaging their churches, increasing pastoral care, providing ministry to so many people, it was, was amazing. But my heart goes out now and just in all this uncertainty and we're, we're talking about resilience that some of the guys are starting to feel the strain. They're, they're tired. Uh, some of them are discouraged. I see the fringe attending less, or not at all, um, as they don't see this. That, it's really hard when you don't have an end insight. Mm. I was talking to a minister today, and he was saying, "I don't even know what my job is at the moment because um, I can't plan." And, I, and my heart goes out to the guys who've really been working really hard, doing their best, and in this uh, current window, maybe not seeing the fruit of that. Uh, Can I just say that the um, the toll on people has also been hard. I mean, I'm on the board of Anglicare. I joined the board of Anglicare probably one or two weeks before the Newmarch outbreak. And uh, let me tell you that uh, Newmarch was harrowing um, uh, for the families, for the residents, for the staff and for those of us on the board. Uh, That was terrible. Uh, one of our ministers um, lost a brother in New Jersey. I mean, the, the human toll is real.
0: Um, and for some of us that, that haven't known anyone that's got the virus, who haven't known anyone that's died or been sick, it's easy to kind of dismiss it, isn't it? Mm. But, but this is a real thing.
1: It's a real thing. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? We, uh, what is we. whats happening in Victoria is terrible. And, you know, they had, what, 17 deaths? By world standards, that's a very low number. Um, every, every, every death is terrible, uh, but we've been very blessed in Australia.
0: Uh, but yeah, it's real and it's harmful. Gary, thanks so much for giving us some personal reflection. As you've been around and about on Zoom, uh, presumably lots of Zoom, lots of phone calls as you've met with different people, um, visiting churches as you've been able to as well, uh, what You've mentioned some of the encouraging things, what are some of the encouraging things, what are some of the hard things that you've seen as you've been around the place?
1: Well, The, the most encouraging thing I think I've seen, uh, besides the extraordinary efforts of people to get online church or online gatherings happening, is the fact that we've actually increased the accessibility of church during this season. Um, I, I reflected on this early on as, as we went online, the number of people telling me that they're getting so many more hits, and even after analysis of how long the hits were and all that type of stuff, so many more people actually coming to church or accessing church gatherings. And it, I was just reflecting on that. So why why didn't that happen before? And I think it's got to do with, we forget how difficult it is to actually walk through the doors of a church and how alien and foreign that is. So I think this is a season where it is really easy for somebody just to come in and have a look. So that's been encouraging. I've heard from a few people that that's actually led to more people engaging with um, online equivalents of um, evangelistic courses. So we've um, heard of that, heard of that happening, heard of people getting converted uh, through that. Um, Yeah, I guess the other thing it's forced people to do, which has been encouraging, is it's led to more intergenerational interaction. I've heard of some churches where some of the younger people have gone out of their way to help uh, some of the older people with technology. And also it's, it's led to more intentional pastoral care mm. because since we're not meeting face to face, we need to be more intentional in knowing how people are going. Mm. And I've seen most of our churches develop uh, better systems and um, uh, networks to make sure that everyone uh is cared for in some way so they're they're some of the encouraging things i think it has been hard for people with children Uh, i've been in zoom meetings where i've I've talked to uh, people with younger children saying they just can't engage with church or if they want to engage with church they've got to put a video on another room so the kids got something to do so they can actually listen to a sermon so i think it's been hard for people with children it's been hard for youth as, uh, as you know, um, they don't get to meet face to face and, uh, and those, that, that bonding and that, that connectedness isn't there. Um, and I guess it's, I think it's also been hard for uh, some of our more anxious members. So we've, we've had a man in my previous church who has a uh, chronic illness and hasn't been able to physically attend church for a decade because of COVID he's at church every week and in the zoom meetings interacting with people for the first time in a decade so that's one of the extraordinary things that uh, has happened out of this and we never thought uh, that it would happen like that but I've also talked to um, single people uh, during COVID who are working from home uh, who haven't given anyone a hug or really interact with people since March.
0: Indeed. Yeah, yeah, and, and, it, and it does feel, doesn't it, like this is going to change us. I mean, even if you're just thinking about the physical interaction, COVID is going to change the way in which we interact and there's a cost there, isn't there? Mm. Um, uh, a lot of people, Gary, have spoken to me about the idea of COVID as a spotlight. You mentioned relationships there and pastoral care. COVID's shown us the importance of kind of getting our, our pastoral care systems going really well. I'd love um, love for you to just reflect um, for a moment on what are the big lessons that we learn from COVID for the church. What COVID has done,
1: it, it's forced people to work out what's essential. It's stripped everything away. It's um, I think Tom Rainer wrote a book called Simple Church. In a way, it's kind of simple church forced upon us. Mm. What are the essentials? What are the what are the things that we must do? And in a way, it's 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 yeah, it's clarified things for us. Mm. Uh, so what, what were the things that people moved to first? Uh, we have to find a way where we can keep God's word being taught. Mm. And we've got to find a way where God's people can connect with each other and basically go from there. Mm. So there have been the two things that yeah, God's yeah. word and God's people undergirded by prayer uh, has been at the core of everything that we do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, COVID's shown us, isn't it, that you know we've got to find a way to keep God's word going out and for people to be able to kind of engage with that and with one another as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Now, um, Gary, you're a, a bishop. Um, you mentioned as well, you're the chair of the COVID task force. You've sort of been out and about in the diocese and also, you know, interacting with government and so on. You understand the situation that we're in. Um, One of the reasons that we do this podcast is because we want to keep broad and deep discipleship, at the very front and centre of all that we do in youth ministry. Um, How do we do this? How do we keep discipleship front and centre in the midst of the uncertainty of this particular season at the moment?
1: That's a good question. What can happen is that the uncertainty of this season can be dominating in our in our thoughts and we can feel paralysed in terms of uh, because i can't do something a particular way or i can't do something because i don't know if i can keep on doing it that way then i don't do anything at all or i give up or i just keep on reacting or i just hide in a corner
0: we can get forced into inaction
1: we can force into inaction i think it comes down to how do we keep the soulship front and center uh we just keep on holding on to the principles and keep, keep on thinking what what are we trying to achieve as god's people here we try to uh, see people come to Christ and to grow into the likeness of Jesus so they can be the people that God's created them to be. Mm. And that happens through people uh, bringing God's word to bear uh, prayerfully on other people and, 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 and doing life with them. And I think that can be done in different ways, as we've seen during this season. So in all the ups and downs, I think what we need to uh, do is to... Keep on adapting. There was a term I uh, got from the MTS movement um, called uh, ambiguity tolerance. I think we're in a season where as leaders, we need high ambiguity tolerance. We need to be able to understand that things might not be as tidy or as uh, cut and dried as we want them to be. So we need to adapt, but adapt in such a way that keeps our principles uh, in terms of discipleship front and center
0: you were telling me a moment ago um gary uh you know you've been thinking a little bit about endurance rather than
1: recovery so i was at a i was at a session for some of our leaders and uh the person from the australian institute of company directors used the line which i found very helpful uh, that she says that we need to transition our thinking from leading for recovery to leading for endurance and i found that a very helpful thing i think when we start off in march most of us hoped for thought uh that we would be over the worst of this by september october that might not be the case it's unlikely to be the case for victoria it's yeah it's
0: not looking like that is it in in the same way
1: for for us east coasters uh in new south wales and victoria uh it's not going to be like that so i guess the the change then is well how how do you how do you do two things there is two things associated with that what type of messaging Uh, do we need to do when it comes to the people under our care and how do we how do we create structures that uh, reflect uh, how we're going because the last thing you want to do is to create these uh, extraordinary programs which may last a week or two Uh, but i think what is also uh, needed and i think uh, because of the self-effacing nature of christian leadership we don't spend enough time on is we've got to look after ourselves. We've got to look after ourselves. Um, there was a chart that um, was was um, shown to us about how people respond during a crisis. And as you know, you start with this period of heroic effort and optimism, and then you go into a, a phase of disillusionment as, as the crisis continues. I think we're heading into that phase of disillusionment. We need to allow ourselves to feel the grief, to feel the tiredness, to feel the frustration of the season we're in, this season of endurance, and actually be kind to ourselves and say, okay, I can't achieve everything that I normally would. And maybe I need a break. Maybe I need to rest. Um, I I need energy to lead my people uh, and be the shepherd that they need. And part of that's looking after myself and not listening to the lies of the devil to tell me that I'm no good not falling to temptation, which boredom and tiredness will lead me to, Um, not becoming snappy with people because my emotional petrol tanks are low. Uh, We've got to play the long game here. It's not a sprint anymore. We're probably at middle distance. It's not quite marathon yet, but uh, I think the game has changed slightly. And I think self-awareness becomes very important at this point.
0: Where uh, Where does the question of the sovereignty of God fit into all of this as well? Well, it overlays the whole thing. Uh, in the end uh, we can
1: shake our fist at covid for the way it frustrates our plans but god is behind this and uh, we need to step back for a moment and uh, think about reflect on what is it what what we learn from this season Um, for us as leaders um, we we have our plans the is very clear we don't even know what's happening tomorrow so <laughs> you know there's the humility that comes out of a season like this and I think for our society for our community there are two things there is there again you know, there is a deep humbling then all our wealth all our progress all our technology here is a thing that we cannot defeat and secondly uh, for all our wealth all our technology um, we don't live forever mortality is real and on the other side of this life we will have to give an account so uh, in in God's sovereignty this has been a time of deep humbling for us as human beings Uh, we might quibble with God as to the way he has done it but um, I'm 51 Uh, nothing like this has happened in my lifetime I can't think of anything Uh, so globally disruptive uh, since World War II?
0: In many ways, where the rubber hits the road is we've got youth ministry workers and we've got uh, youth ministers and youth leaders out there, and they're worried about their young people. They're worried about their faith and the resilience of their faith. They're worried about their well-being. Uh, They want to be able to gather with them um, in whatever way they can. What do you say to them? What's your advice to them in this season when we just don't know what's going to happen? How does the Sovereignty of God kind of speak into that?
1: Well, I've got teenagers. I've got a daughter in Year 10 and I've got a son in Year 11. And, you know, I worry about the same things. Um, How is this season where they're away from their friends and youth group, away from their peers... Uh, going to impact them. I've got to say that I'm just really thankful for my youth, the youth leaders in our church. I'm really thankful for the youth group and there's a sense that I'm I'm trusting that they're doing their best uh, in difficult circumstances. So I think most parents of our teenagers understand the challenges and um, but there's a sense that it is a partnership in it. So there's a sense that even though the kids aren't meeting youth group, for those who are in Christian families, at least the Christian families are still caring for the kids. Uh, but at the same time, um, you could run the best youth program in the world. You could have the best Christian parents in the world and the child might not respond. Uh, in all circumstances, the, the development of a child uh, in the Lord uh, ultimately lies in God's hands are ultimately an act of grace. And um, we just got to keep on trusting that God knows what he's doing. Well, we've got a role to play. We need to do our best in terms of keeping discipleship front and centre and taking every opportunity to teach, teach the word and gather God's people, connect God's people in some way. But, you know, again, we've got to face around human limitation at that point. And I think that actually should give us confidence. Uh, we, we just do our best. We do our best, we work hard, we try, we pray, and um, you know, God God will do the, leave the miracles to God. Mm. <laughs> I think that's what I want to say. Yeah. And I think, and again, as I said, from a parent's perspective, again, I'm really appreciative of, of our youth leaders and all that they do to, to strengthen my hand in raising my kids for the Lord Jesus.
0: Mm yeah uh, it's so easy to become anxious in this time about these sorts of things really helpful um, for you to reflect on that thank you so much gary um, last thing i want to ask you is this um you know you mentioned before to me that you'd been in youth ministry yourself uh right now you you the bishop of the western region um, you're highly involved in all this COVID stuff Is there anything as bishop um, as chair of the covert uh, task force that you could say to the youth ministry um, workers, youth ministers, youth leaders that are out there doing the work of youth ministry now, what would it be?
1: I'd wanna say two things. I wanna say thank you. Thank you for your service to the Lord and of, of the young people. It's so very important. It's there's such an informative years. We've seen the research about the number of people who come to Christ during this season. Uh, um, in my years of youth ministry, I mean, I've seen the way that the impact of it Uh, and it's the impact that my youth group kids are in their 40s now okay (laughs) and they're still in the lord and and the stuff that we've taught them they still reflect on it and share back with to me and uh, it, it changes lives and these people who we we loved and looked after are leaders in their churches they're, they're, they're on church wardens. They're on boards. One of them is a lecturer at Moore College. They're missionaries. They're ministers. Uh, future leaders. So it's, it's it's such an important thing. And can I just say we had a reunion last year of of the youth group kids, um, youth group kids, the youth group forty year olds, uh, and it was wonderful. They're like family. And they're, they're, they're as cl- uh, the relations we formed during those years are as close as any I have had in Christian ministry. So. Uh, Thank you but it's worth it and you'll get a lot out of it by by pressing on. Uh, That's one thing I want to say and the other thing I want to say is keep going, keep going. Um, Yes it's unsettling, yes it's tiring, Uh, yes it's frustrating but keep going Uh, because um, what else would you do? What else would you do but uh, seek to uh, encourage young people to grow in their Christ-likeness, because there is nothing better uh, for them. There's nothing better in terms of knowing eternity uh, with the Lord, but it's also nothing better in terms of living uh, the best life possible. Uh, I'm sure all of us uh, have reflected on what it might've been like for us if we weren't Christians. And um, we, we don't wish that upon, upon the young people under our care. And I'm sure all of us are grieved when we see our young people make bad decisions and again, we don't want that. So keep going because what you're doing really does make a difference.
0: It sounds to me like you think it's worth it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Gary, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been really, really fantastic to, to sit and reflect with you on uh, what it's like at the moment, uh, the encouragements to press on. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, it's been so good to hear from someone who has been involved in ministry at so many different levels during this pandemic uh, speaking with people in government speaking with people uh, on the ground uh, in frontline ministry uh, in churches someone with a heart for youth ministry as well and if you enjoyed uh, what Gary had to say today uh, found it helpful uh, we would love for you to share this with your friends with your ministry colleagues uh, we want to help as many people as we can to keep discipleship front and center in youth ministry during a really really strange and weird time we're looking forward to more episodes in season two as we think about the question how do we do discipleship under the crown